You're listening to Juicy Podcast. I'm your host, Tony Bacigalupo, and in this episode, I will be talking to Andrew Debenham, Global Account Director at Essensus. Essensus is one of the biggest, and as I've learned, one of the earliest software platforms for co-working spaces and serviced office spaces, and they just recently announced a global partnership with Juicy. They have stepped up to support Juicy in a big, big way, and so we're very grateful to them. I'm very grateful to them for supporting Juicy in that way. And so we're going to get to know Andrew. We're going to get to know the industry a little bit, his story of what he's seen in his nine years since he started working with a census. And uh, we'll get into a little bit about where things are going, particularly how we are going to be seeing the shift in the corporate world towards more co-working-like stuff and what that means for people providing space now and where there are some potentially really great opportunities coming up. So all that and more coming up in this Juicy Podcast, episode 25. Andrew, so excited to have you on the program. Thank you for joining me today. You're more than welcome. Very happy to be here. Great. So first off, just give me a little bit of background on you. How did you first end up in the co-working world? How did you end up uh, working with a census? What What was the origin of, of and the background of your story, how you ended up where you are today? <laughs> the origin was there was no design to it whatsoever, and I'm sure that's probably the same for a lot of people. Um, I finished, finished university, I uh, didn't want to get a real job, traveled to uh, across Europe, ended up in Spain for two years and worked in pubs and bars and restaurants. Then realized I needed a real job. So I um, came back to London and just completely stumbled across one of the um, service office, exec suite brokers, instant offices. Um, they had a job going, so I started working for them and, and it grew from there really. So that was really before, I guess, the co-working term, if you like, was, was around. So it was more exec suites, more service offices but um yeah was I was working for them but there was 2005 wow cool okay yeah so it's yeah, 2005 london now you're working there yeah so exactly and actually the, the company there was about 20 of us at the time and the the owner then a guy called rob hamilton he um because it's a web broker so we were doing business in all over the world um you know all via email and he um he said right we need to set up an office in in australia who wants to go and do that and uh, so I just put my hand up and boom, off I went to Australia for a couple of years. So I set up uh, an office for instant offices down under in Sydney. That was a tremendous experience. Um, did that for a couple of years. And then I came, I used to work briefly for one of the, kind of one of the largest operators, Servcorp. Again, very much exec suites. Um, did some work for them for just a short space of time. Um, then I came back to London and wanted to get into tech. Um, so I took a bit of a sidestep. Um, did a, did a couple of roles, but then I came across a census, and, and a census were tech, but also um, flexible workspace. So they, they'd recognized um, a huge gap in the service office market in the sense that there was really no one that had built a, a bespoke product, a, a customized product for service offices and what is now co-working operators to manage their space, manage their IT, manage their inventory. And, and it ticked all boxes for me. So I joined a census in, um, in 2009. And have, and have seen a huge amount of change in the industry in the you know nine years or so that I've been here. Wow. Okay. So you've been with the census for nine years, and 2009 
is rather early in the co-working movement. I mean, I, like I started Manhattan's first space in 2008. So, uh, you know, I, I consider that to be kind of the, you know, some of the, the very earliest years of the movement. And so 2009, y'all were very early in this, I guess because serviced offices were already a thing at that point. So tell me a little bit yeah. more about the evolution between then and now. Obviously, things have changed quite a bit. What's your impression of, of what's gone on the past nine years, especially now that we're talking about how you got started? Like what, you know, now looking back on 2009 compared to today, what, what are you noticing that is different about what you saw then versus what you see today? Well, I think, um, yeah, I, I probably hadn't heard of the term co-working back in 2009, probably only should have heard of it in you know, 2011 or something like that. And I think at that point with reference to co-working, yeah, absolutely. There was a huge amount of skepticism with it, you know, open plan offices and, and sort of, you know, shared space. It, it was a bit of a swear word for a lot of people in the kind of serviced office exec suite industry. Um, clearly that's grown up now. Um, and so um, I think that the, the real big change, really the overarching change in all of this um, clearly is how um, we, us as people consume services. So, and that translates to anything that translates to, we've all got smartphones. We, we go to apps and buy products immediately. It's also translating now to office space in the sense that, you know, as we all know, the, the long-term lease is not dead, but it's certainly diminishing. Uh, and that's all pushing the end users um, through to our world, Tony, which is um, what we manifest itself now as co-working, exec suites, flex space. So um, I think where it was in 2009, a very, niche uh industry um even to the extent where you know if you were a service office provider trying to get a lease on a building from a landlord the landlord would look upon you with an extreme amount of skepticism and probably wouldn't accept you as a tenant because you are from this weird industry that no one really trusts and there's not a lot of money in it and there's no covenant for a lease that's exactly um, what i was dealing with in 2008 <laughs> yeah exactly you know so there was a huge amount of that and there was um and and the concept around management agreements so landlords or, or, or operators trying to partner with landlords so um you know they would work on it together so again that was a very rare thing landlords would much rather sign up a tenant of 10 15 25 years um, and not deal with these kind of weird flexible working providers. So um, the, the shift we've all seen is um, going from that world to now the fact that the landlords themselves are actually looking to build their own proposition or they're looking to partner with um, an industrious, a serendipity labs, a, a, a flexible workspace operator. And they're accepting leases. You know, you look at WeWork now, they are the, um, they've taken out the most amount of space in, in New York last year. They're doing the same in London last year. It's phenomenal, the shift. But I think fundamentally it's driven by, you know, we as people, we all, we all expect things to happen immediately overnight and everything that we do. Why can't offices be in that way? Um, so, you know, some of these older landlords are, are changing their spots, if you like, um, to become stripey, <laughs> um, to sort of fit more into our world. And that's great because, you know, speaking candidly about what we do, you know, we had a, a census had a, a relatively small target market. You know, you, you look at the UK and the US, there's not that many businesses to go after in terms of providing our products. Now, all of a sudden, we're looking at sort of two to three percent of office space globally would be our target market. But actually, if you fast forward 10 years and you read some of the reports and look at what the landlords are doing, that could be 10%, 20%, 30% of all office space will be 
what you and I have done for years. So, um, so it's uh, it's it's an industry that is is massively expanding, as we all know. Clearly, as I think it's done basically because we as people demand immediacy and flexibility, something you don't get with a lease, but you do get with a flexible workspace. Um, so what the people want normally is what the people get ultimately, uh, and that's what's happening. Yeah, I guess that's how market forces work, and certainly technology is enabling us to to even realize that we can want this level of flexibility that we didn't even, didn't even have before. But uh, it seems like the, bl- the lines are getting awful blurry now, right? Because now even in the more corporate, traditional environment, we have remote teams, distributed teams, uh, hot desking and hoteling and that kind of thing. And so even not the service office industry, but even the corporate industry is, you know, you walk into a new, a new work workspace design for a typical company, they're looking at, you know, starting to look and smell and feel kind of like co-working. So it's, it seems like it's all yeah. kind of getting distributed and bl- blurred together a little bit, isn't it? Well, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think also with that, so you're absolutely right. The, the big corporate occupiers are, are looking at this space now as, um, as a long-term strategy. You know, do I have to sign a long-term lease? Can I just get, you know, a uh, hundred workstation location with WeWork for, for a year or two years? Yes, I can. Um, but equally, I think um, because of that, because of the big corporate occupiers, there's now a, a shift and a change into how um, the co-working and space providers are having to present themselves. Um, certainly in terms of what we do, you know, um, when you're dealing with corporate occupiers, these guys aren't startups, obviously. So they come to the, they come to the building with a whole list of requests um, and a whole list of security and resilience and corporate governance type questions that the space provider just has to answer, whether that be about access control, whether that be about is my data secure, the networks in the building, is there resilience, is there failover? So actually as, as, the, as the demand grows up, you know, the, the, the corporate occupiers, so too do, do the spaces themselves, you know, um, you know, are you ISO accredited? You know, doing the ISO accreditations is, is a crazy thing that uh, that co-working providers would even consider. But at some point, some of them is going to some of the big ones are going to have to do that because otherwise, these big corporate occupiers just won't move in. You know, so um, it's the, 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 everything's growing up, which is great. Um, but I think there has to be a bit of a change from some of the co-working providers. They need to think about this stuff now. Think about okay, well, if I've got a big occupier coming in, I need to be able to answer these questions uh, around my, you know, how I store their data, how I um, manage my network security, how I manage my access control. Is it is it is it going to tick the boxes of a, of a corporate occupier and a, and a procurement team or not? Yeah, so, you're, um, you're, I, yeah, I think I think you're right in that regard. Like, it's getting a lot more diverse in terms of different levels of services for different. Like, we, we have such a wide array of people because we're talking about all of work as we know it or, or, or much of it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I do think that the, like from what I'm seeing, the two bigger drivers of, of change and, and growth and market going forward are going to be basically a barbell. It's going to be either super corporate on the, on the one end where you're going to have to be able to answer those bigger standards or super kind of indie and flexible on the other end where you still have many millions of people who, work from home, freelance, whatever, who are not yet members of co-working spaces who could be if the right value proposition were there. Uh, but that's kind of on the other end of the spectrum. So those, those two, I think are going to yeah. move probably more in opposite directions. 
I totally agree. And actually, again, if you look at the smaller startups, um, community is important to them, right? You know, they're a startup, they're lonely, they do want to speak to people, they want to get involved. They would enjoy, you know, platforms to have the ability to communicate with other members. And as all the space providers, they want to facilitate that kind of that kind of environment. The other end of the spectrum, as you rightfully said, is, is going the other way. The corporate end of the spectrum, who are looking to take space here, they don't view they don't want to have their members communicating really with other members in the building because that's probably defi- defies their security protocol. They view it as a great. This is a flexible, short-term um, space requirement that I can manage my portfolio a lot easier. They view it a bit from that point. Uh, versus the smaller companies view it as a yeah this is pretty cool i get free beer on fridays and uh, you know i can communicate with other members so you're right it's kind of completely other end of the spectrum um and and again the the, the challenge for the space providers themselves is that you don't know who's going to walk in through the front door you just don't so um you do need to think about catering for the whole spectrum of companies, which, you know, clearly they've done, this is what space providers know only too well. Um, but you're right, at, but those, the two types of companies you're going to get are becoming more polarized, seemingly, the big corporates and the, and the startups. And that kind of leads me to something I was, was hoping to get to in this conversation, which is where a census falls into all of this. I know being a software provider in this world can be a very tricky thing because it seems that for every client that you take on, there's another take on the business model for this. That there's there's just such a diversity of services and iterations of the business model and little weird details about the way that the offerings work and things like that. So it can be an enormously complex and challenging thing to provide a platform for what you would think would be very straightforward but can actually be really tricky and diverse. So how is Census looking ahead at this kind of increasing diversification and you know what, what what's on the roadmap so i mean the, the roadmap is never ending the roadmap is constant um every software company out there would know that you're always looking to to um, productize more bits and pieces integrate with third parties if you need to um i think it, it partly it depends around um so from, from purely a sales perspective who we're talking to so um you know if we're talking to a multi-site operator um, and perhaps you're talking to the CFO or you know C-level people um, they don't necessarily they don't necessarily look at this kind of community element too highly what they're interested in is the the back-end systems the billing the system a record I just need to know that this platform will work and it will help me do the fundamentals really really well um, and that is always going to be the case so I think um, how operators approach technology should always look at the, the, the foundations that, that, that any technology sits on. And in this world, that's inventory management, billing, system record, reporting, as well as critical infrastructure, IT, Wi-Fi, internet security, that kind of stuff. As long as you get those bits right, all of the kind of, should we say, the slightly sexier stuff um, around, you know, uh, gadgets and gizmos and end user facing stuff become a lot easier. So in terms of... Um, you know, how we position ourselves, we've historically done very, very well with the large multi-site operators because our foundations are so very, very strong. Um, um, because, you know, the reporting and the billing and the inventory management is, is very, very slick and seamless. Um, you could spend forever and a day trying to build member-facing applications. Um, yes, we, we've, we've, we've got one clearly, and um, so do lots of other providers. Um, uh, but by that same token, I think lots of space operators are building their own. Um, 
because that's it's their brand it's their product they want to have sort of full control over that i think where this gets really interesting is um having operators um work with one another so you know suddenly you're an operator based out in austin texas you've got three locations but you don't have anything anywhere else so um surely if you're part of a wider network of physical or software related network that's where this gets interesting so you know part of the stuff that we're doing and our, our customers are talking to each other now and how can they share their inventory with other customers of ours how can they you know um therefore enable more products more services more locations to their members by partnering with other operators so that, that that's a really interesting thing there is there the opportunity for us to build a global network well, yes absolutely um you can do that from just an alliance um, or you can actually do it from a technology standpoint. So that's, uh, I'll, I'll pause on that because I don't want to give too much away, but that's, um, that's an, a really interesting point for us. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm, I have to say I'm tempted to ask you lots of probing questions about this, but I will say I love that you're at least uh, just on the general, it, it makes a lot of sense to be looking in this direction because of the context of what we were just talking about on the corporate side. I know that you know if we're if we're looking on that side of the equation, that the corporate wants to be able to talk to essentially an entity that can provide them access to stuff across a large geographic area, and so then I'm going to go to one of the big chains that has that footprint, but yep. That those big chains are not even going to be even the biggest ones, right? WeWork, even Regis, they they're still not going to have nearly the same footprint as the overall industry as a whole, right? There's thousands and thousands and thousands of independently operated co-working spaces that cover much much smaller cities and and much wider geographic areas than any one of those companies ever could. And so, if a software platform like yourself uh, we're in a position to give that corporate client the ability to give their employees access to that level of 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 locations all over the world. That would potentially be tremendously valuable to them and to the operator and to the employee, right? So yeah, absolutely. And actually, there's another layer to this as well, and this talks more to again more the corporate occupiers. And we keep talking about corporates, but you know these are the big boys so when they start doing stuff you know everyone's ears prick up but um if you think about yeah having any kind of member whether they're from a corporate or from a just a startup company having access to hundreds thousands of locations globally that's obviously a good thing what's great the corporate occupies and again i won't give too much away on this but um giving clearly you give the building the space provider the tools to report on things track users do all that kind of stuff what about if you gave the actual corporate occupiers themselves the ability, because as they, as they occupy more spaces, more flexible workspaces globally, you know, you'll have whole real estate teams that, that work within corporations uh, and they want to track usage, track their users, um, look at space utilization uh, across their estates. And at the moment they can't really do that when they, um, when their workers, um, are working in flex workspaces because it's not one of their directly leased buildings. So, so there's, a, there's definitely a, um, uh, an opportunity here for platforms like ours to provide our customers, i.e. our space providers, 
to give them the opportunity to provide their customers with this information. And that's really valuable um, for, again, for the more corporate end of the market, something that we wouldn't have entertained years ago because corporates didn't really even get involved with it. Um, but now they are. So space utilization, not just to the space provider, but also to the end users, um, the bigger ones, um, I think is a, a, it, it, it's undoubtedly going to be heading in that direction and you know something that we're working on as well. Yeah, that information is critical. And when you run your own facility and you have total control over it, obviously you can do that. But if you don't, then you need to be able to see that that's something that other people can provide for you. So I imagine yeah. people who you know run your run your system can then say to the corporates, "Hey, you know, we we've got this. We can we can give you this information." And that makes that makes one particular provider perhaps more compelling. Than another if they can definitely yeah absolutely um but very much so uh, and then you know there's um as i said the the, the larger occupiers are, can be very picky and choosy as to why they choose a place or choose a venue to, to house their staff um and these sorts of things will will become very valuable for them yeah makes sense very good and so tell me a little bit before we call it a day here about the relationship with juicy and what that means to you, this global partnership. So uh, Census has really stepped in to support Juicy in a big way, which is huge really for the movement. And so, you know, thanks on behalf of Coworking to, for your support of Juicy. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that partnership and what it means to, to you? Yeah, no, sure, absolutely. We, um, we first came across Juicy, I think in, uh, I want to say 2015, 2016. Uh, and it was our marketing team who um, who sort of were saying, "Yeah, we should go to this. It's like the co-working event. It's in it was in LA actually." And again, being completely open with you, we should have myself included. Went, yeah, okay, that'll be great. But it should have co-working. It'll be small space providers. It'll be a bit kind of happy clappy. You know, not too sure about that. Um, we went to the event and uh, we were uh, blown away by it um, because of the diverse diversification of people that were there i.e you had space providers you had small co-working providers and, and startups also you had investors you had landlords you had developers um so it was a real real um cross-section of the whole sort of real estate industry actually that was at this co-working event which we had no idea it would be like that at all so that set a very very good uh, unique precedent for us to say actually Juicy is what everyone's talking about, and as you guys have grown uh, massively, you know you're now across lots of different cities across across the globe, um, and it's given that that you've got that cross section of people turning up to these events, and um, that's huge for us. It's huge for the industry, um, and uh, we're, we're really really proud to be a part of it. And I think you, you guys provide a, a unique source or, or resource, if you like, for anybody getting into this sector to understand all the ins and outs of running a flexible workspace, meet some providers, um, but equally maybe meet an investor whilst they're there. And I don't know many conferences that I've been to that you get that, that kind of cross-section of people. You normally just get this, the providers and the suppliers. Actually, in this, you're getting investors and landlords and people that really want to get into it, which is um, I've, I've, in, all, in all the years of doing working at a census, I haven't really seen many examples of, of conferences that do that. Oh, sorry, unconferences <laughs> that do that. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, we, we are very, very proud to be a part of it. That's terrific. And, of course, Liz and Stormy and the team are just 
killing it in terms of their aggressiveness, uh, you know, getting Juicy out there and, and making the conference, you know, frankly, accessible to a wider audience of people who, you know, might not have otherwise been able to find other people in this world. And so, you know, it does, it does do a great service and, and their, you know, their dedication is a huge part of that. So uh, your support of them and, and of, of the Juicy world is uh, going to continue to have a significant impact on the industry for a long time going ahead. So thanks for that. Yeah. No, but listen, it's not my money, so um, so go for it. <laughs> <laughs> Take as much as you want. <laughs> All right, well, you can thank whoever signed the checks. Um, yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> Andrew, it's been a pleasure chatting, and I'm looking forward to seeing you at a future event. And um, and uh, and yeah, it's been been great to chat. No, it's been great. Listen, thanks so much for for hosting, and um, yeah, we'll see you at one of the many uh, conference stroke unconference. I'm still not sure what unconference is, but, um, I'll be there nonetheless. And, uh, oh, yeah. we'll, we'll come on out to the next one and, uh, and we'll show you. It'll be fun. Good. Yeah. Good stuff. All right, Tony. Great. Great to chat to you. Thanks, Andrew. All right. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. So that was my interview with Andrew Debenham. I hope you found it valuable. I have to imagine if you're a space provider, if you think about being one, you got to be wondering, or maybe you've already got this figured out, but I'm wondering what you think. Are you going to try to go after that corporate client? Are you going to try to be somebody who's going to try to adapt to hitting those standards that those corporate folks are going to want? Or are you going to maybe go the other direction? Say, you know what, we're not going to try to go after those corporates. We are going to try to go after some of the folks on the other end of the spectrum, the, the lighter weight, the folks who work from home, the individuals. That's something we didn't really talk about at all uh, as much in detail here, but something we can talk about perhaps in a future conversation. Would love to have your feedback and would love to keep this conversation going. So feel free to shoot me an email, tony at nwc.co, T-O-N-Y at nwc.co. Um, I'm also Tony Be Good on Twitter, T-O-N-Y-B-G-O-O-D-E on Twitter and on Instagram. We got more juicy events coming up for you. We are, as I'm recording this, we're at the end of 2018, but we've got events in 2019. I know that Liz and the team are cooking up all kinds of new stuff for next year. We've got Mexico City, January 26 to 28. We've got Denver, April 15 to 18. We've got another UK co-working conference coming up in September. I'm sure we'll be seeing more events in China and other parts of the world as well. So head on over to Juicy.co to check out all of those upcoming events and make sure you grab your ticket early. If you know you're going to go, don't do what I have done far too many times and wait to book your flight and then you end up paying too much money or you end up having to have some silly connection or whatever. Just get it done. Spend the money now. I mean, then, you know, maybe you can... uh, knock those expenses off of your taxes for this year, right? Why not? Anyway, get that done. I will see you at a Juicy Conference in 2019. And best of luck to all of you and have a wonderful holiday season. Take care of yourselves. And as always, keep being awesome. Bye.